0: We've been looking at Hebrews and kind of bouncing around. I I rearranged things the way I thought would make uh, good sense. Uh, The first Sunday, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, growing beyond the basics. Uh, Let us leave the elementary teachings of Christ and go on to maturity. We learned from a baseball clip. That maturity meant perfection. So the bar should be set high, even though we know we will not ever reach that position. We'll never get to a place of perfection. Secondly, last week we looked at finding rest in Christ in Hebrews four eleven to 13. And that he is our great high priest and that we can rest in him. And he's telling the Jewish audience to make sure that you find rest in Christ Today we're going to examine the supremacy of Christ along with the dispensations of time. So let's jump right in and we notice here, first of all, that God speaks and the, the past. And by the way, this, this brings up a lot of different, uh, a lot of different views, a lot of different understandings of this, and I'm giving you my interpretation. There are others. Um, but anyway, long ago, and at many times, in many ways, God spoke. Lalo, to speak audible words. And sometimes this comes through a lot of different uh, ways and means by which God spoke. Over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, God spoke. And we're, we're, we're talking about the audible verbal communication of God, I had to go back and look at how many times. I'm only going to give you a few examples here. But uh, long ago, and at many times, and many ways, God spoke. Some of my favorite ways that God spoke was, and I love this. I love this picture. It's Moses at the burning bush. Remove your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. And Moses goes on to tell God, I can't do it. And God says, yes, you can. And so he spoke through to Moses through the burning bush. Mount Sinai uh, is another way in which God spoke. This one was uh, spectacular. To see a bush that is burning, but it does not burn. When you get to Mount Sinai... You have, a, you have thunder and lightning. You have a thick cloud over the mountain. You have a very loud trumpet blast. Uh, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. Smoke billowed from a, as from a furnace. The Lord descended on Mount Sinai in fire. The whole mountain trembled violently. Now this is God really speaking, <laughs> really showing up. Trumpet sound grew louder and louder. Uh, this is in uh, Exodus chapter nineteen twenty. 20. Uh, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered. Now, Moses is a lot better than I am. When I saw that going on, I'm not going up to the mountain, right? God's, uh, but Moses goes up, Moses goes up to the mountain. Then, so, in one sense, God is spectacular in the burning bush, and he speaks to Moses, and then there's all of this, just majestic trumpet sounds, and And it's so wonderful. And then, uh, Elijah, y'all remember this story, right? Remember when Elijah was was in the cave? After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Jews repeat this constantly. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out and stood at the entrance of a cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? So (laughs) here you have the spectacular God speaking through a bush that he created. And then, then you have Mount Sinai just exploding. And then you have The small, still voice of God. Many ways in which God spoke. Another one of my favorites, and which applies to me, (laughs) at least I think it does. Uh, You remember this story. Uh, So funny, I, I thought I would just read the narrative. And this is in Numbers 22. So Balaam rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, donkey, and went off for Moab. (laughs) But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding a donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. It's funny, the animals can see it, but he can't see it. Standing in the middle of the road with his his sword drawn, and the donkey turned aside the road and went out into the field. Of course, this made Balaam extremely happy. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn back to the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel, he pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck him, struck the donkey. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead of him and stood in a narrow place. There was no way to turn either right or left. When the donkey saw the angel, he laid down under Balaam and of course you can guess Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with the staff now here's 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 the part I like then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey so I figure if he can speak through a donkey he can speak through me and he said Balaam and this is the donkey talking to Balaam can it just gives Mr. Ed a whole new meaning what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said, instead of freaking out, <laughs> instead of freaking out, like this is a normal occurrence, because you have made a fool of me. I'm, I'm thinking, no more pita bread there, Balaam. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, and this is important, and the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey? on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? Balaam responds, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing there with his sword drawn. That's interesting. Balaam wanted to have a sword so he could kill the donkey, and now this angel. And he bowed down, and he fell on his face. People think that God didn't speak in the Old Testament, but he did. He spoke. And when he spoke, he used a variety of means to communicate what he wanted to communicate. So God did speak um, in the past and in many ways. The scripture here says, the writer of Hebrews says, long ago and at many times in many ways. As many ways, there's a lot of ways that God spoke. And so we, we... tend to think that God in the Old Testament is transcendent. He's so far removed that he can't speak, but he certainly did. And sometimes it was terrifying, and sometimes you could barely hear it. And yet God spoke. Then we talk about the prophets. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Uh, Prophetes. Prophetes is the word for prophet, one who proclaims inspired utterances on the behalf of God, a prophet-inspired preacher. Something that I've personally wrestled with in, in, in coming up with sermons each Sunday, and by, by the way, it's not easy. Let me just tell you that. It's not easy. I start with a block of scripture, and I go through line by line, word by word, and, and I listen over the years, I've listened and believed that God has directed my studies. So when he impresses upon me or when I get an impression of something, I'm trusting that God is giving me that. And then I go through a filter that if, if God's telling me to do this, is it biblical? Does it go against scripture? And I work that way. So uh, at what point, I don't think any pastor's ever worked through this, at what point Does the sermon mirror the prophets and mirror those who preach in the New Testament as far as inspired? I don't know. I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is speaking here this morning to you and me, and that he uses me, a sinful man, to communicate to sinners saved by grace. So the issue here is, this prophetes is one who proclaims inspired utterances, and then you apply that to the donkey, and of course, that was an inspired utterance. When you talked about God speaking through the bush, that was a divine utterance. But God used prophets. Prophets were very important. They were broken down into two categories, major prophets, minor prophets. But one thing to keep in mind is when you think about the scripture, and you think about how God spoke, I foolishly believe That God still speaks through this today. That's because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by the prophet's own interpretation. That is, when the prophet wrote something, it wasn't his interpretation of events. It was... For the prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word carried along is used of a ship that has a sail. And you can imagine when the wind hits that sail, it begins to move the vessel. And so these men were directed under the influence of the Holy Spirit, to write the very words of God that we have here today. They didn't come up with that. So one of the arguments is, well, the Bible was written by men. Yes, it was written by men, but they were divinely inspired to write what God spoke. And therefore, in light of that, we can trust the scripture. So he speaks through the prophets and little bit of quick history here. I'm not going to try to get bogged down into this, but this is kind of a good summary of the major prophets, which are up top, the minor prophets. In the law you have, and you all know Moses wrote the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In the historical section of the Old Testament, you have Joshua. One of the things back Years ago, when I was in uh, um, Bible college and uh, Dr. Lee's class in the Old Testament, we had to read the entire book of Joshua, and he, he gave us notes, and we had to take those notes. And uh, I remember when it, when it got to the point where Joshua died, everybody in that room was sad. But there's some interesting... Things that happen in Joshua. Did you know that in Joshua, God threw stones from heaven? Can you talk about a a great 3D movie right there? God throwing stones from heaven. So Joshua is one of my favorites. Judges, Ruth. Who could forget Ruth? Not our Ruth that's not here right now. But (laughs) Ruth, uh, the faithfulness of Ruth. And I think I preached on that uh, a couple of years ago. 1 Samuel, 2 Kings. Uh, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, building the wall. Awesome. Esther, for a time such as this. By the way, our nation needs a leader for a time such as this. We're in deep trouble. Job, wisdom literature. Job, everything was taken from Job. Everything was taken from Job. And then we learn at the end that God replaces it. The Psalms. How many of y'all read the Psalms? They're loaded with a lot. Proverbs. Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. All is vanity. All is vanity. And then at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, all is vanity without God. Summary. Song of Solomon. I got in trouble in my first church doing that on a Wednesday night. A lady said, I'm not coming back anymore. I said, oh. The major prophets, Isaiah, the suffering servant. It's a projection of Christ. Jeremiah, did you know in Jeremiah, God said, I, there's coming a day when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. No longer will they look outwardly. I am going to write the words of my law on their heart. I shall be their God and they shall be my people. Lamentations, Ezekiel, those bones. Daniel appears in the, in the book of Revelation, at least tied to the book of Revelations. Hosea, minor prophets. You know Hosea, right? Married Gomer. That was probably the first problem. <laughs> Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, the prophet running from God, the prophet running to God, and the prophet running with God. That's the way you summarize the book. Micah, false teachers. Nahum, Habakkuk. Zephaniah Haggai. Haggai, you guys have been sitting here long enough and you haven't started working on the house of God. That's the message of Haggai. Malachi, again, right before we get to the New Testament. Every time we read these, these. We can trust that God is still speaking. We can trust that no matter what verse of scripture we find ourselves in during the week, we can know that we are hearing the voice of God because God speaks. He still speaks. Now, oftentimes, and I would encourage you to to read your Bible because You find within the wonderful scriptures, you find enough to help you during your times of trouble and hardship and trials. It also helps to hear God speak about victories and joy. And so, definitely God did speak. But particularly, in the Old Testament, I want you all to realize, the Old Testament projects a coming messiah. And so when God spoke in the past and he spoke through the prophets, he also speaks about his son. Now I want to go through a series of relationships, a series of relationships that the son has, at least from the author. And this is why it's so important, um, This, these four verses, this is why it's so important, because the author begins by showing the relationship of the sun to many different factors. And the first one is the sun and creation. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This is verse uh, 2. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Last days. Esketos. Himara, esketos hamara. And what that means is final. Now, the, at least the word last does, esketos. Humara, days, has many different interpretations. People just look at days and they go, well, it's just one word. But in, in the Greek and Hebrew, words have stems and they have relationships and they have all of these things that branch out. And so the words carry different meanings. This word, and I went through and looked them up this week, this word can mean a 24 hour period from sun up to sun up the next day. It can mean a 24 hour period. And by the way, when God created the world in those uh, six days of creation, that was a 24 hour period that we know. None of us can create the world. And I just get so. I don't know. When, when I hear this, there were a thousand years between one day and the next day, I go, no, no, it wasn't that way. It came in a 12-hour period, this word days. It can refer to sun up to sun down. That's a 24-hour period. I don't know what time the sun came up this morning, but it'll go down about 730 nights, about 12 hours or so. It can refer to these days, the word days, can refer to light and darkness, possibly used in metaphors. This is an interesting one. I didn't know this until I went back and looked up this, uh, followed the the nuance of, of the word, the etymology of the word. It can mean a court of justice. Now, that's interesting. In these last days. So something's happening here. But ultimately, I think it means a period of time, a specific period of time. Uh, Spence Jones, in his commentary, wrote the former denoting the pre-Messianic age and the latter the post or the Messianic period. So when it says that in these last days God has spoken to us through the Son, it is a new day of dispensation that Jeremiah was talking about. And you now have this new period in which God is going to speak. Now it says here, the writer of Hebrews writes, he, uh, he appointed him heir of all things. Here I want you to think about the supremacy of Christ. So in these last days, he has spoken to us through the Son, who he has appointed heir of all things. Uh, paraphrase, there's nobody higher than Christ. You cannot get higher than Jesus. And when you go in and you read uh, Hebrews 1, he's better than the angels, he's better than Moses, and he goes through this litany of that Christ is better. And here you have... Uh, I, Robert Utley writes this, the heiress active indicative, which implies a past action, action that happened in the past. And he makes a note, when did God appoint Jesus as heir? Was it at his baptism or resurrection? This question led to a heresy called adoptionism. That is that at the moment, and there are several uh, veins of this adoptionism, that Christ became the heir at the moment of his birth and i agree with him he says this question led to the heresy which led that jesus became the messiah at some point in time this however contradicts and there's some scriptures uh, jesus has always been the deity and therefore heirship must even predate the incarnation of christ The issue here is that Christ has always existed. He existed before time began. He was in the beginning. When God said, Let us make man in our image, who was He talking to? The Holy Spirit was involved in creation, Jesus was involved in creation, and God was involved in creation. There was never a time that Christ did not exist. He has always existed. And to that point, he will continue to exist for all eternity. And therefore, he's able to offer us eternal life. Because he is eternal life. First uh, uh, Colossians, excuse me, Colossians 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. That settles the issue that Christ has always existed even before God shed his word upon this world. Secondly, we want to look at the Son and the Father. Look at verse 3. He is the radiance. He is the radiance. So we have have the Son in creation. Now we have the Son and the Father. He is the radiance of the glory, the doxa of God, and the exact imprint of God of his nature why does he go to this extreme in talking about christ because he's trying to get these jewish people to understand that when you see christ you see the father the radiance apalgosma apalgosma the reflection of god the imprint the charaktar, the charaktar is an exact representation When you take a photo and you take a picture of a person, I know you can Photoshop it and do all kinds of things, but if you take just a regular picture of, let's say, this group over here, which is right-leaning, I would get an exact representation because you're sitting there and I got a picture of it. Or if I took a camera on this side and did a picture, I would see all of you. And it would be an exact representation of what I took. So when he says here, (laughs) when he says here, he is the radiance, that's the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And by the way, I'll remind us this morning: Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Newsflash to the Jews, Jesus is God incarnate. And therefore, he is better than the angels, he is better than Moses, he is better than anything because God appointed him the heir of all things who existed pre-time, came into time, went to the cross, paid for our sins, and now reigns in the right hand of the Father for all eternity. And so that he's setting here that this is how Jesus relates to the Father. So when you see Jesus, can you think about that just for a minute? When you when Jesus said, "When you look at me, you see the Father." is what God would look like if he was here and he was here. Now, how that try to explain that's one preacher or professor said it's like trying to nail jelly to a wall it's very hard to do but we we trust it not only do we see Jesus' relationship to creation Jesus' relationship to the father but we also see Jesus' relation to the world and he upholds the universe listen to this He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Ray Steadman, uh, I like reading him. I, I think he's an excellent theologian. Ray Steadman said this, As scientists probe the nature of the universe, they increasingly confront the mystery of an unweighable, invisible force which literally holds all things together. This force is identified here as the power of the word. One who carries all things forward on their appointed course. A couple of years ago, uh, it's been a couple of years now, uh, I got into looking at the stars and I'm still... The other night I was out and Saturn was green It's because of the atmospheric conditions. And, and And to see the ice crystals that are around Saturn in my group, which I have a meeting next week when when they look at this, they look at the scientific part of the universe. When I see Saturn or I see Jupiter, or I see uh, the m thirty one what I see is something totally different than what the experts see what I see is the hand of God and I see the hand of Jesus and I see the Holy Spirit at work you've got this vast universe brothers and sisters there's some star clusters there there's some clusters out there that have trillions and trillions of stars how did it get there I don't have enough faith to believe that it started with one molecule I do not have enough faith to believe that. But I do have faith to believe that God spoke it into existence. I simply do. That is the most ridiculous point that I've ever heard. That it started with a big bang and this one molecule went out and began. I'm like, come on. You guys aren't nearly as smart as you think you are. Everything, listen to this, everything, you're talking about Jesus in the world, everything is a perfect position to sustain life here. That just didn't randomly happen. How do you have all of these species and the ocean uh, and, and these animals that clean this part and the other animal comes out? You, you, you've, you've got to be, I think, that I'm passionate about this. I'm very passionate about this. Because you see so much order in creation that it can't possibly be because of one little bang. Even the miracle of birth. Really. All of this happened because of a little molecule he upholds the universe he upholds the universe with the power of his word and I I look at all these things that's I look at all these things as you know what (laughs) you know what Jesus is who he said he was I mean, I could preach for 30 minutes just on this, but I'm not going to, because I know we've got the Lord's Supper. and Then there's the sun and redemption. The sun and redemption. And after making purifications for our sin, katarismos. that means to clean us from ritual contamination. Think of, these decon stations that we went through in the military where we'd go through the, the decontamination station and we'd take a shower, we'd do all this, and we'd come out the other side clean. The writer here is making a point, very, very predictable point. After purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If you are in Christ today, you have been purified. You are clean. You are not filthy before the God. And positionally, you are righteous before God. You said, Well, Pastor Mike, Don't I stumble and sin? Yes. But you can never lose that position because once Christ finished his work on the cross, it was paid for. You don't have to pay for it again. Next time Satan reminds you of your past, you remind Satan of his future. And I know that there's people that live with guilt, guilt, guilt. Let me... Father, I sinned. I shouldn't have done that. Get on with your life. Don't live in the guilt. I just happen to believe that if you confess your sins, he will cleanse you. And it doesn't matter if it's a big one or a little one. We were talking the other day about a big one and a little one. (laughs) Big sin and little sin. Sin is sin. Whether it's big or little. And I know we like to classify them. But all you have to do is confess your sin, and Christ will forgive it. That's a, that's a promise. But if anyone does sin, John 2.1, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, which, by the way, is a position of power and authority. Who is this that he can forgive sin? What's Jesus Christ? It's God incarnate. He can forgive it. 1 John 2.2, right after this verse, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2.2, He is the propitiation for our sin, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Of course, it's for the whole world because Jesus created the world, and for him and by him were all things created, so that God may get the glory and we might have a relationship with him. This is not about anything else except Jesus. It always has been, it always will be, and it can be nothing else. I once had a deacon in my first church said he's not trusting in just what Jesus did. I was shocked. Called that the first church of Satan. Amazing. Thank goodness we've got great deacons here having become, verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jewish people, not us, Jewish people, Jesus is where you need to be. That's where you find rest. And when you get that rest, you move on to maturity, to superior, to uh, to perfection and you seek to grow in Christ not in a system of religion I I learned a lot growing up I had some I had a good Sunday school class that we were involved in and and they put up with a lot of my questions and Then that faithful day in Korea when I read Galatians completely changed my theology. Wait a minute. I'm saved. It's by grace. You know what happened in that day? I can't remember the exact day, but I had a picture of it. It was like, and ever since then, God's given me a passion for this grace. What it means here is Christ has been crowned with glory. Christ has been crowned with glory. Let's close this because now we've got to go into the Lord's Supper. God spoke in the Old Testament and he speaks today through Christ. Christ is the Savior of the world. Christ is higher than anything and is seated at the right hand of God. Praise God. This is a big one. Christ will forgive our sins, whatever they may be, and wipe them clean the day you trust in Christ. And then you go through your life and you start making mistakes and stumble and sin and fall. Christ will forgive you and wipe that away. If you haven't trusted in Christ, you're not sure, please come this morning. Maybe you want to rededicate or anything that you want to do. You you come as we have this time of, of invitation.